Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Luke, Matthew, Mark, anywhere else you want to turn to. Uh, we're going to go to a lot of places in the Bible, seeing that I only have some of you one day a year. So um, I'm just teasing you. I'm glad that you are here. Well, today, uh, as we start uh, this message, I, I just want to ask a simple question. And it's a real simple question that I want to pose to everybody, of the, for those of you in this room, for those of you sitting outside, for those of you online, and it's simply this, can you see? And uh, I want to take a little vineyard out of, out of uh, what the Bible talks about between three groups of people and the understanding of what they saw. So uh, let's start this by going to first Luke, then Matthew, then Mark. In Luke 23, listen to what it says. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now Matthew's account, uh, Matthew 27 verse 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Verse 55. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. One more reference, Mark 15, verse 37. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now, I, I, we need to have an understanding today, and that is that Jesus at this moment has breathed his final breath. He is dead. Now, we struggle even to say these words because we are celebrating Easter today. We are celebrating the resurrection. Uh, we know that Sunday happened. Can I get an amen for that? But how many of you understand without Friday, Sunday would never be possible? Without Friday, we would not have access to the presence of God. Without Friday, there is no forgiveness. There is no freedom for the sinner. Thank God for Friday. And I, I want to paint the scene for you. See the scene around the cross. And, and uh, the Word of God gives us three different groups of people are mentioned. Mentioned by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The centurion and the soldiers who were guarding Jesus are mentioned first. Luke mentions the crowd that came to see the crucifixion. And then lastly, Jesus' followers, especially the woman who ministered to Jesus during his ministry. Three different groups of people brought together by the crucifixion of Jesus. They are all there for different reasons. How many of you know people come to Jesus for different reasons? And people look at Jesus for different reasons. The centurion and the company are there to see that the, the sentence is just completely carried out. 
the, the crowds are there because they've come to see the spectacle of Jesus on the cross. The followers of, of Jesus are there, and they are in total disbelief. They have come to mourn. Each group focused on Jesus, albeit for different reasons. Jesus meant different things to each and every one of them. To the centurion, he is a failed revolutionary. To the crowd, he is a failed messiah. To the followers, he is a hope that's gone wrong, a, a hope that's gone awry. And Matthew, in his writing style, gives us kind of an, an overview of what's going on. He mixes the present and the future. He tells us that Jesus dies, the veil is being ripped, an earthquake happens, and rocks are split. Then he fast forwards to Sunday, and he speaks about a resurrection of some of the saints and that came out of the graves after Jesus was raised. If you hear on Friday, we kind of talked about grandma being buried, and suddenly grandma's back home, if you know what I'm talking about. He goes from the cross to the temple to the tomb, and then he goes back to the cross. And then he mentions the centurion and soldiers and how terrified they were. The crowd, on the other hand, you know, they only saw Jesus as a meal ticket. In John 6, 24, the Bible says this about them. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. A huge crowd followed Jesus. Jesus, uh, Jesus, because of all the, the miracles and the miraculous things happening. He climbs a hill. He sits down with his disciples around him. And John writes and says this, it is close to Passover. Jesus knows what he's going to do, but the Bible says he's testing Philip by asking him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people, Philip? And we know what happens. Jesus feeds the crowd with a little young man's lunch. The crowd is so happy, they're so excited, they literally want to force Jesus and crown him as their king. So what does Jesus do? He left. He doesn't stay. Jesus knows that the only reason the crowd is following is because of what he can give them. And Jesus tells them that, that they have no understanding of what the miracle actually means. They brag about the manna, and, and yet the true bread of heaven is in their midst. Jesus is simply a means to an end for them. And now at the cross, there, here is their feeling. This is, this is their sentiment. Blow out the lamp. The party is over. It is done. They leave the cross, and the Bible says they leave with deep sorrow. Now, the followers of Jesus are in complete shock. And we know that they shouldn't be, but they are. How many of you know the words, it is finished, meant that all their hopes, all their dreams, all their aspirations are ending on a Roman cross? The writers of the Gospels all remark that they are standing at a distance. Luke says this, but Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Matthew says, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar. Mark says, some women were there watching from a distance. Can we all agree that they are not close? Okay, why, why are they? Because what do we try to do when something we have hoped for happens? What, what do we try to do? We try to remove ourselves slowly but surely. It's kind of looking at an accident about happening. And, uh, you know, we, we, we want to emotionally disconnect because of the, the amount of pain. To say that they are disillusioned would be trite. 
They are standing at a distance. They are trying to reconcile the Jesus that they ministered with for three years and the Jesus that's now hanging dead on the cross. It reminds us again of a conversation that Jesus had with Philip, the same guy he tested with the miracle of the fish and the loaves. In John 14 verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. How many of you know everybody wants somebody to show them something? Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Here's a question I believe we ought to answer. Is it possible to be around Jesus and not really know Jesus? Is it possible to be in church and know about Jesus, but not truly know Jesus? Because here's the thing. How many of you know Jesus told them that this was going to happen? As a matter of fact, he told them again and again. If you read the Gospels, you find that he explained it to them again and again, that he had to suffer, that he had to suffer at the hand of the Romans, that he had to suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees, that they were going to falsely accuse him, that he was going to suffer a crucifixion, and then he was going to be raised up on the third day. He told them again and again. It kind of, uh, uh, the disciples give me hope. You know why? I preach many messages, and then after the message is preached, I ask the people, so how was the message? They can't really tell me what I just preached, but they tell me it was great. How many of you know they listen to Jesus and they say it was great, but they didn't listen to Jesus. Can I get an amen for that? How do I know this? Look at Matthew 26, 32. Check this out. But after I've been raised from the dead, now let me ask you a question. Don't you have to be dead to have a resurrection? So Jesus is telling them after what? I've been raised from the the dead. Now watch this. I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus is not telling them a partial story. He's telling them the full story. And not only is he telling them the full story, he's saying, hey, I want you to know I'm going to go ahead of you. So guys, make sure you are in Galilee because that's where the party is going to be. He gives them the address of the party, but they don't know how to do it. Are you with me, somebody? They are staring from a distance with regret. Now the centurion, on the other hand, what is he there for? He's simply there to do a job. He has no agenda but what needs to be done. And he has to be the one to make sure that Jesus dies. He's not mourning like the crowd. And unlike the disciples, he's not at a distance grieving with regret. He is close to the cross. Mark says the centurion is actually facing Jesus and he sees how Jesus dies. The next shout from the cross is from a sinner's mouth. What does he shout? Truly, this was the Son of God. When the veil is torn and the rocks are split, the centurion and his gang are riddled with fear. Why? I believe he has a revelation. All throughout scripture, when heaven intercepts earth, whether by angelic visitation or by God's presence, the first response is always fear. It is the sinner closest to the Savior that sees him for who he truly is. The centurion does not leave in sorrow, neither does he leave with regret. The centurion simply stays at the cross and worships. How is it that the sinner worships The crowd cries, but the disciples stare. You see, here's what you need to know. You need a revelation at the cross to be able to worship at the resurrection. 
See, until you have a revelation of the cross, you will not understand the power of the resurrection. If, if you simply look at the cross without the revelation of the cross, you'll only be able to mourn. Jesus will only be a tragedy to you. And if you stand at a distance, you will only be disappointed. You have to come to the cross to see, and you have to come with no agenda. And the closer you are to the cross, the more likely you are to see what you need to see. You are ought to see who is on the cross. And here's my question to you. How close are you to the cross? You see, praise is an act of gratitude because of what I have received. But worship is an act of awe because of what has been revealed to me. You cannot worship until you had a revelation. If you struggle to worship, it's because you don't know who you are worshiping, and you don't know who is in the building, and you don't know who's here, and you don't know who's present, and you don't know that the God that overcame death, hell, and the grave is the God that is present here by His Spirit. Before you leave the cross, make sure you have the revelation of who was on that cross. Because when you do... You will not leave in sorrow and you won't leave with regret. You'll simply worship and confess, this is the Son of God. Who is Jesus to you? Because that, my friend, will determine how you spend the rest of this life and the rest of your eternity. Who He is to you will determine how you view the future. To the Father, He was the sacrifice that had to be made. To the chief priest and the eldest, he was a blasphemer that needed to be silenced. To Judas, he was agreed to be satisfied. To Peter, he was a betrayal to be regretted. To Pontius Pilate, he was a nuisance to be rid of. To Pilate's wife, he was a mistake to be avoided. To Herod, he was a threat to a throne. To the people, he was a heretic to be crucified. To Barabbas, he was a get-out-of-jail card to be exploited. To the soldiers, he was a prisoner to be abused. To Simon of Cyrene, he was a cross needed to be carried. To the first thief on the cross... He was a man to be mocked. To the second thief, he was the hope of a last chance. To John, he was the Savior to remain with. To Mary, his mother, he was a son to be mourned. To Mary of Magdalene, he was redemption to be held on to. To Joseph Arimathea, he was a friend to be buried. To the gods, he was a dead man to be guarded. To the grave, he was the king that could not be held. To the angel, he was the living Lord that was risen to us. He is God who makes the impossible possible. The cross speaks and asks a final question to us. Who is he to you today?